All right, let's go. Got it? You got that? Luke chapter 18. Then he spoke, speaking of Jesus, a parable to them that men always, everybody say always, ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. Do you know how much this generation is crying out for a church to rise up and get justice for them from the adversary of our souls. She says, and the judge would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest by her continual, everybody say continual, Lest by her continual coming, she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with him? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Everybody say speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He really find faith on the earth? Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. You knew, you knew we were going there. Hebrews chapter 11. By the way, how many of you know that the Bible has several books to it? We had that theological discussion this week. My daughter in her homeschool was trying to teach my grandson that the Bible had 66 books, but he's been listening to his, his children's church teacher because he says, no, there's only one book and it's the Bible. She says, well, honey, it's made up of... He says, I don't want to hear it. He says, there's only one Word of God, that's it. And so I, the kid's, kid's going to be awesome. I mean, there is 66 books in the Bible, but don't tell him. He's, there's one book. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. While on vacation, I came across an old, old prophetic word given years and years ago in Cairo, Egypt, by an old prophet by the name of Bob Jones. He said these words, He says, the Lord said, I will change the understanding and expression of Christianity in the earth in one generation. That was in 1982. Jump ahead to 2009. By and large, the Church of Jesus Christ in America is in trouble. It's in trouble. Oh, we have the massive crowds. We have the mega churches. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. God's going to give us one someday, but it's going to be based on this foundation. The foundation of the Word of God and the cross of Jesus Christ, the holiness of the Word of God, and all that the Word entails. But the church, by and large, is in trouble. And yet, underneath it all, there is a stirring. If you were to drop in on Tuesday nights at 102nd and Halsey to the switch room, 
which is our youth group, you'd find 40, 50, 60, sometimes more kids getting into that room. And I watch, I watch as God is beginning a work in a generation. We see it happening all over the nation. We see it in our 20-somethings. We see God beginning to stir a generation. However, the understanding and the expression of Christianity is going to be different than it was in my age, in my era, and in my generation. Now hear me, the Word of God doesn't change, but methodology and how the Word of God is spread changes. And here's the thing you need to understand. Don't be afraid, for instance, of technology. Be afraid of what the technology teaches. I don't care how technologically good it is, if it doesn't elevate the Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ, then friends, it's just technology. There's going to be a changing in the understanding, the way believers will, unbelievers will perceive the church. And we told our leaders these three things, but I want to drop them in on you right now. First of all, there's coming a day shortly when church will not be boring to the unbeliever. Second of all, church will not be irrelevant to the unbeliever. What do you mean? Let me tell you something. The minute we leave the confines of the Word of God and begin to work in our own way, in our own methodology, in our own understanding, that's when the church becomes irrelevant. But when we realize unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. When we get back to building like God wants us to build, all of a sudden, church is no longer boring to the unbeliever. Oh, let me help you. Let me help you. Let me just use it from my era. I remember when I was a little guy, five, six years old, and my grandmother would, I was raised in an ultra-Pentecostal church, and uh, my grandmother would drag me back into the prayer room every once in a while, because she thought I needed the Holy Ghost. That's what they used to call it. So I'd go in the back and I'd be sitting there back there with grandma and weird things start. I loved it because it was entertaining, nothing less. It wasn't boring. But I'll never forget the first time I saw somebody genuinely slain in the spirit. I went home and told my mom. She, my mom says, how'd church go? I said, somebody died today. <laughs> she looked at me and says, what? I said, man, I'm telling you, this guy was in the prayer room and he died right in front of me. He, he died. He's dead. She said, who was it? I said, I think it was Chuck, and he's dead, Mom. He's gone. He died right on the floor. Church was not boring. It wasn't boring. You could, when the Spirit of God moves, friends, it's not boring. And if you think it's boring, let me say, if nothing's happened to you, sit back and at least watch. You won't be bored. You know what I find? You flip channel to channel, you find the world's mocking the Pentecostal movement these days. It's not because the Pentecostal movement's wrong. It's just that they don't have anything else to mock because everything else is boring. But throw a few shundies in there and suddenly it's not boring. 
church will not be boring and it will not be irrelevant. Because when people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, suddenly church is very relevant. You take somebody and you tell them that God is a good God, He's a gracious God, He's a God that wants to heal you and change your life, and they believe it and accept it and begin to apply it, things become very relevant. Now what is irrelevant is for the church to stay where it is right now and realize we have to change in order to communicate. Oh, come on. We've got to speak the language. I shocked a few people, I think, in the leadership meeting Wednesday night because I told them, you know, we've changed our name now because we couldn't have, you know, since we're multi-regional here. So we changed it to True Life Church. And I'd been told there was only one program on TV that, had the, that was called True Life, and it's on MTV. How many of you have seen True Life on MTV? Let me see your hands. I'm putting, I've started watching the show. It's kind of fun. And uh, so you would watch MTV? Oh, yeah. I watch MTV all the time, along with Star Trek. Don't miss that. And, uh, but here's the deal. I want to know what's being said in the generation, in the culture. So I started a series, I've been titling a series of messages based on True Life TV episodes. It's going to be, wait till we talk about tattoos. I can't wait. There was this episode about this girl that didn't like the tattoo she had and she didn't know how she was going to get rid of it. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people today that have been tattooed on the heart by the enemy. But I just happened to read in the scripture in Isaiah chapter 1 that you know what? Though your sin be like scarlet, though it be double dipped and stained, he can wash it away and cleanse it. There's some tattoos that the enemy has put on us, friends, that God's getting ready to wash away. See, we got to become relevant. we got to understand our culture. Don't worry about being relevant. The Holy Spirit will take care of that. See, really? Yeah, John came out of the wilderness wearing, you know, fur in the middle of summer, looking goofy, eating bugs. And he certainly was relevant to that generation because he was so relevant they killed him. The third thing that, God, that the church is not going to be is non-threatening. You say, huh? I think it's time for the church to be a little bit threatening. I think it's time we start making the devil uneasy. I think it's time we start giving the culture a little bit of jitteries. I think, you know what? Down, I, our landlord came to see me the other night down on, on our, where our switch building is. And now, and, and we're going to have to make some, change some things around a little bit. But all of a sudden, there's heroin being sold in addicts shooting up right around our building and everything. He says, what are we going to do with it? I said, we're going to pray. I mean, he's all freaked out. What are we going to do? We're going to pray, Steve. We're going to pray. I said, I'm not afraid of that. He says, you're not? I said, no. Because I said, you know what? We're a threat to the devil. That's why these people are showing up. You know why God hasn't allowed us to move out of 102nd and Halsey with youth? Because it's right in the middle of the armpit of Gateway. And I want to tell you something. We're putting the devil on notice. 65 kids that are busted up this year are going to get saved. We're going to start believing that as a church. We're going to pray for that as a church. 65 new kids who are busted up, messed up, been thrown away by the culture. God's going to rescue at that address this year now you want to know something that's a threat to the enemy we need to quit being non-threatening to the culture 
quit caving into the culture. And God's looking for a church that says, wait a second. You say this, but let me tell you what my God says. You say it's impossible, let me tell you something. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I just happen to have a little heaven-born faith in me to believe God for something bigger than your catastrophe. Threatening. Let me tell you something. I hear all the time, oh, we want to be a New Testament church. Really? Have you checked out the book of Acts in a New Testament church? Crazy. They start off with, you know, 3,000 getting saved. A few weeks later, 5,000 get saved. They're up to 8,000 in a few weeks. And then people start dying in their services. And I'm not talking about being slain in the Spirit. I'm talking about killed. They lied to the Holy Spirit. Boom! Gone! That will either up attendance or down it. I don't know which. Can you imagine? Well, I'm on the elder board. What do you do on the elder board? I'm the undertaker. (laughs) Great ministry. They go from that to being threatened, jailed. And in the middle of that, we got a little quantum physics going on because Philip gets transferred from one town to another. Not quite sure how he got there. How many of you know it's wide open in the book of Acts? But it's going to be threatening to the culture. Have you ever tried? You ever tried? I, 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 I had a guy. I'm sitting getting my hair cut the other day. And the guy cut my hair. He knows he, he, we we've have a relationship. And, and he asked me a question. He says, you know who so-and-so? They were a great musician and everything. And he says, you can look him up on YouTube. And I did. And and. Great, great musician, this guy, and he could play the keyboards, and he wrote Christian songs and everything. And, and uh, the guys cut my hair, knew him personally. He was a very good friend of him. And uh, he, he uses the guy's name. He says, I knew him. I said, oh, you did? Really? He says, yeah. Do you know how he died? And I said, no. He says, he died of a heroin, heroin overdose. And then the hairdresser asked me a question. This is how threatening we've got to be, friends. He says, can you tell me how someone could love God so much and die of a heroin overdose? Try that one for witnessing. I'm going, well, uh, um, hmm. And out it comes out of my mouth. Well, I want you to know, Jesus loves heroin addicts. Some of you are going, well, you should have told him that. They, they went right. He went right to hell. Who are you? Who made you God? There is a war that's going on inside of men and women right now, and our job is to be threatening to the enemy that binds them and keeps them bound up in strongholds. I don't know if that guy went to heaven or hell. It's not my judge, my job to judge, but I do know this. I told the hairdresser, I said, here's the thing. If you're dealing with anything like that, Jesus can set you free. You turn it. You become threatening to the enemy. Now, changing the expression of how the church expresses its life together as a people. Let me tell you something. Just Sunday church is not going to make it much longer, church. Just meeting together on a Sunday in a school or in a sanctuary or a building isn't necessarily going to make the difference. Let me tell you something. Our life together now entails, and Brian was listing off all this stuff. We got Facebook. 
I don't, but you Antichrist people do. Um, the government won't find me, but everybody's got, everybody's got a Facebook. But here's the thing I've found about that social outlet of Facebook. I'm believing God that if people start writing, and they, you know, Elizabeth will show me some of the stuff people write on Facebook, and I'm just stunned. I'm going, why would you share anything that private on a, that somebody's going to read? I mean, I almost want to set up a confessional and go sin, and if people are that welcome to confessing, you know, we can go, go Catholic for a little bit. I don't care. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. How many of you believe that if some of your friends on Facebook that are writing some of the things they are writing, maybe they're waiting for you to respond on Facebook about a person by the name of Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life and how he's changed you instead of you joining them in the garbage? Why don't you just start a little Facebook chapel? Come on. Say, well, that's not very conventional. New expressions are coming, friends, of Christianity in the church. There's new expressions coming. There's new ideas and new ideals coming. And you, you, some people go, well, I don't know about that. People just quit coming to church. No, they won't. The churches will be packed because bottom line, you can Facebook, but you still need touch. Now, we're going to become a people of prayer. We become a people that walk out the Sermon on the Mount in a lifestyle that's powered by the Spirit of God, not by legalism and not by religion. We're going to become a people of the supernatural. Now, questions that need to be asked. And I, I think as we begin this prayer time of 21 days, I want you to take these questions, if you can write them down real quick. And they need to be a part of your prayer life. Number one, how real is the judgment of God to me? Do you really believe that God will do everything that He can to remove any sin and any issue in your life? Not because He's mad at you, not because He's angry at you, but God has a destiny for you. God has a purpose for you. And He'll remove anything in your life that would hinder love and His love from operating in your life. So how real is the judgment of God to you? You know what? That's what's going on in America right now. We wouldn't listen to the preachers. We wouldn't listen to the prophets. We wouldn't listen. And all of a sudden, economic chaos. we got things going on in the White House that should not be going on. we got just corruption everywhere. And the church goes, oh, I, I don't understand. Because you didn't believe that God will remove anything that comes between Him and His love for you. And God will take your finances. He'll take whatever He needs to take to get to you. How real is the judgment of God to me? How real is the age to come to me? How many of you know this life is not all there is? But how many of you know, we all believe in heaven and eternity, but how many of you really believe this, that there's an age coming after this? What do I mean by age? Right now we're in a, we're in a time, we're in a period of time, but there's a new period of time coming, friends, and it will be earmarked by a man 
coming down, riding on a white horse. His vesture has been dipped in blood, and on his thigh is written, faithful and true. There is coming an age when Jesus Christ will physically again rule this planet. And is that real to you? You say, that sounds goofy. No, that's the only thing that makes sense anymore. But how real is that to you as a church? See, I was raised the day, oh, you just kind of sit back and wait for the rapture because God's going to escape you out of it. Think that one over again, honey. I don't want to escape out of this. When he comes riding in, I want to join him. I want to be there when he slogs into Jerusalem. <laughs> and the Mount of Olives splits and he takes his place as Israel invites him to come and rule over them again on the throne of his father David. I want to be there. I want to see it happen. And I want to participate. Don't take me out of here. Leave me here. I want to watch that one. You hear me? How real is that to you? How real is the reward that awaits me if I stay steady and grounded in this life? We're so worried about our rewards here. But let me tell you something. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, listen, put your treasure where moth and rust don't destroy. Some of you, with the sound of my voice, are listening by the Internet this morning. You spend so much of your time with earthly things and taking care of yourself that you're going to get to heaven thinking you got it all together and there's not going to be much except on the table as far as rewards waiting for you. You say, well, God's not like that. God's kind of like a social God. It's just equal for everybody. No, it's not. You've been lied to if you think that. Scripture tells us different. Some are going to make it in by the skin of their teeth. Hear me. Others, there's great reward. See, here's the deal. If that wasn't true, then there'd be no reason to try your works by fire. And God's going to come and try what we've done. Everything we've done is going to be put to the fire. And whatever is of God, is that's what's going to be the reward for us. You hearing me? How real is that to you? Now this is the big one. Am I willing to relate to God so I can grow into the yes in my spirit? Let me explain this to you. In every person in this room, there is a yes in your spirit. You say, what do you mean? You know... You wake up in the morning or maybe it's in the evening or maybe you're daydreaming during the day and you're thinking about how your life would be if you were obedient in this area, if you were praying more, if you were giving more, if, if, if. How many of you have ever dealt with the ifs in your life? Come on, let me see your hands. I got some good news for you. Those are just not random in your heart. I believe that's the yes in your spirit placed there by God. And here's what's keeping you. How many of you have a dream of what you'd like to be as a believer? Come on. I mean, you like what you are now? I don't. I don't like what I am right now. Dear God, if this, some things don't change, we're all in trouble. How many of you believe that? 
So here's the deal. Inside of me, that's why I journal. Inside of me, I write down the yeses in my spirit. This is what I believe God wants. This is how God wants me to finish. This is what I believe God wants me to be like. This is the things that need. And you know what? That's the yes in my spirit saying, yes, Holy Spirit, I don't quite see it clearly, but I know the dream that you have for me. And I have a yes in my spirit. And so I think about it. And then I get discouraged because it's not happening. Well, here's the deal. I believe that the yes in your spirit can come, become reality if you're willing to relate to God in the area of obedience and give yourself to the Lord so you can grow into that yes in your spirit. How many of you have a picture of what you would like to become? Let me tell you something. I want to invite you on an adventure to let the yes in your spirit grow. Amen. Now, those are the questions that need to be asked. The nature of the war, the contending that we're going to do in prayer. First of all, this war must be continually waged on the inside. On the inside. How many of you know it's, it's what comes out of us that's a bad deal? It's what's inside comes out. If you're going to fix things, you can fix the outside all you want. It's so frustrating to help people sometimes when you see people drowning in a religious spirit. They think it's all about the outside and their outside dress and how they conduct themselves. Let me tell you something. Jesus said this. He called them white and sepulchers. They were shiny on the outside, but inside was dead man's bones. And you know what? How many of you would like your life to be more lively in God? Then the life has to start on the inside. Because Jesus didn't come to fix your outside. He came to fix your inside and let it grow out to your outside. And so you have to be understand the war that is being raged is not just a war against culture and fixing the outside. The war has to start on the inside, friends. You can change the culture that surrounds you in your life by you being changed on the inside. So the war has to begin on the inside. It will take revelation that translates. Let me tell you, how many of you would like to have a revelation of the Word of God? I mean, you'd like to be reading the Bible and it makes sense to you. Come on, let me see your hand. Well, guess what? The minute it starts making sense to you, you're going to be faced with a dilemma. You know what the dilemma is? Choices. Every time, you know, I, I, I tell you what, I think some of the craziest prayers we pray are, Oh, God, reveal your word to me. So God does, and I go, Oh, no. You've got to be kidding you want me to change that? Oh God, let me be dumb again. Because when real revelation takes place, you're going to be faced with choices. You're going to be faced with taking action. And one of the most dangerous things to do is to have revelation and ignore the choice. Because that will stop revelation in your life. People say, it happens with prayer. Pastor, I just really want to, uh, how, you know, Malachi, he, he told me one day, talk, talking to him about prayer, he was all upset. I said, well, why are you upset about praying? He says, God don't answer, so why should I ask? 
Well, in his mind, he was wanting to hear, like, he asked me a question, I'll answer. But in his, and so in his mind, it wasn't about the prayer being answered. It was nobody talked back to him. I said, well, if you're hearing voices, see your mom, because I can't help you. But uh, how many of you know that we ask for revelation and God gives it? We have a choice to make and actions to take. Now, I want everybody to go, and we got, we're, we're going we're gonna to keep you here another 10, 15 minutes in the Word. How many of you say that's okay? I don't care if you do or not. We're going to do it anyway. Second Timothy chapter 3. Everybody go there. What's the, what's the condition in which we pray? What's the conditions in which we pray right now in our culture? Let's look at it. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Half the time, I don't think the church believes this. I think the church believes we're always one election away from things going back to good. (laughs) We're too far into this thing, friends. Let me tell you something. How many of you know that the day of the Lord is going to be great and it's going to be terrible? There's going to be great things coming from God and there's going to be terrible things coming from the enemy. And as God blesses the church, you're also going to be involved in some pretty terrible issues. There's some terrible things going on and there's some great things going on. In the last days, perilous times will come. Now, I'm going to say something a little controversial here and I know it's going out over the web, but I'm a big boy. I can take it. I think you need to check your joy buzzers at the door once in a while when you start listening to people that only tell you, tra-la-la-la-la, God is good, bless me, bless me, bless me. You're not prepared for what's coming on the earth if you don't wake up and learn how to live in the middle of the great and terrible. What do you mean? Things were going down in Egypt and Moses walks in to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, forget you, Jack. I'm not letting them go. In fact, instead of eight-hour shifts, they're going to 16-hour shifts. And in fact, I'm not even giving them their supplies anymore. They can go find their own supplies and they can make twice the bricks. Now get out of my face. Moses comes back in and he says, look, dude, I said, let my people go. And he says, Moses... No! Moses says, fine. Watch this. And plagues start happening. They got bugs up to their eyeballs, frogs going off, water's turning to blood. It's a mess all over Egypt, with an exception. There was a land called the land of Goshen. Hmm. And in all of that land, did you know when, when Moses says, okay, Pharaoh, you don't like how God's doing things? God's going to turn the lights out on you. Right. And darkness all over the land of Egypt, with the exception. Right. It got a little brighter in Goshen. You know why? The people of God were in the middle of terrible, and God was doing something great. Yes. What was God doing? He was getting them ready for the day when Moses said, okay, It's time to go. And they left. Why? Because the Goshen principle was working. 
Let me tell you something. You've got to be in the camp in order to experience the Goshen principle. You can't be... Do you know that God was warning them? You do your own thing, you're going to get the same things the Egyptians yes. get. Yes. Hear, you hear me? Yes. What's well, good enough for an Egyptian is good enough for you unless you're staying in Goshen. People within the sound of my voice need to change your address or where you're hanging out. Oh, you don't get it. Let me help you some. When you go to make a decision on your entertainment, oh, no, here comes a clothesline sermon. No, I don't do those things. I'm just telling you, you want revelation? You've got to make choices. God didn't call you to corrupt your brain with some of the garbage that's on TV, in the movies, on the computer, on your Facebook, etc. Somewhere the church has got to come to a point, say, you know what, I'm really wanting to live in the land of Goshen and the Egyptian stuff I can't handle. Because tomorrow morning I want to wake up and the lights be on. Hello? You think it's bad. It got so bad in that situation that the last plague that came down, God says, okay, Moses... You go tell the people in the land of Goshen, go kill the firstborn sheep that they got, the best they got. Pour the blood in a basin, get some straw, and paint the blood over the doorpost. Can you imagine what they were thinking when Moses came to them that one? You, can you imagine if I came to church next Sunday morning and said, okay, we're all painting our doorposts red. I'm telling you, you better... You would, I mean, it would be a psychiatric evaluation for me you'd take me off in a giggling wagon but here's the deal he said listen put the blood over the door why there was one plague left to come can you imagine sitting in goshen that night and hearing the screams all across the land of egypt as every firstborn son of every egyptian was slaughtered And there's people in this room going, oh man, that's really terrible. Wake up! Those days are coming again. And it's only the people of God who've decided to dwell within the realm of God's obedience and the realm of His love and of His grace. You will hear the screams, but nothing's coming to your doorstep as long as you're in that sphere. You hearing me? Let me tell you something. You can't afford... Day trips into Egypt. You can't afford vacations into Egypt. Because the things in the atmosphere and in the earth are changing right now. I don't care about a health plan or no health plan. I don't care. You say, what do you mean you don't care? Because, you know what? Get rid of one guy and there will be another Antichrist pop up. Because the spirit of Antichrist is being poured out on the planet. But let me tell you, at the same time, this gospel says in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And that generation will begin to prophesy. Your sons and your daughters. See, there's something going on. And you can't ha- it can't be, friends, Mayberry RFD any longer. Opie's gone. In fact, the real Opie makes films now that are trash. You hear me? 
Start living in the 21st century as a believer. Wake up. Now, that was a good bunny trail. I like that. Keep preaching, Pastor. Go ahead. Verse 2. For men, let me look at this list. Men will be lovers of themselves. We don't have any of that in our culture, do we? Lovers of money. Did you pay attention how we got in the financial mess we got in? Just thought I'd throw that out. Boasters, proud, blasphemers. Major, several major motion pictures now. Bill Maurer's religious film was a total mockery. of. It was blasphemous. We got blasphemers going on here. We got disobedient to parents. By the way, if you're a young person in sound of my voice and you're living in a Christian home or unchristian home, doesn't matter, you want the blessing of God on your life and you want long life, as long as it's in the bounds of Scripture, you better be obedient to your parents. And if you're not, you're out of the will of God. Right. Boy, that, I knew that one would get a whoa. <laughs> you see, the go, same goes for the generation that God's going to use as for any other generation. His rules don't change. Right. Some of you, your parents aren't in church this morning because you, and this is going to be a little harsh, but you need to hear it. The reason your parents are not in church is because you've touted the name of Jesus, but you haven't changed how you treat them. Good word, Pastor. Keep preaching. I think I will. Unthankful. I hope that word hits some kids this morning, because I believe God wants your parents saved. But I believe God saved you to be a witness to your parents to get them saved. And by the way... Being obedient to them means that you won't always try to get your own way when dealing with them. Ooh, thank you. Wonderful. Okay. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. That's a good one. Without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors. I like this next one. Headstrong. I know no stubborn people. They don't exist in the church. It doesn't happen. Haughty. And this one, this next one, you got to get the whole sentence. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. God doesn't give you, you can be lovers of pleasures and lovers of God. He, it says here, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. God's always into the love ratio of your life. Okay? Look out. This last one is nasty. Having a form of godliness. I'll tell you what. One of the most frustrating things as a leader and a pastor and working with people is this. How many of you know why you... How many of you, most of us in this room, grew up in school... And remember, and, and they still obviously still do it. It's always a big deal. And now they're trying to get you vaccinated so you won't get pig flu or whatever it is. And uh, how many of you have ever been vaccinated? How many of you know what they're doing to you when they vaccinate you? They're giving you a little tiny bit of the actual disease so your body builds antibodies naturally in your system. 
You know what I think what's happened in the church? We've inoculated ourselves to the true original gospel. We've got just enough of the word to make us ignore the original gospel. And so we come to church, we raise our hands, woo, hallelujah, praise God. And we walk out and we go right back to the life we were living before we came to church. And the next Sunday, we take time out. Ooh, praise God. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm really doing good. You pay your tithe? Yeah, I pay my tithe. Oh, that's good. Yeah, well, high five. And we go right back out to doing what we were doing. Do, 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 do. And the gospel doesn't penetrate Monday. It doesn't penetrate Tuesday. It doesn't penetrate Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. But all of a sudden, you, ooh, do, 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 praise the Lord. And, you know, if we're real charismatic, we get a step or two in. And we, but we go one minute, we leave. We're right back to normal. The church that's about to arise is not going to be normal. They're going to be just as deadly on Monday as they are on Sunday. They're going to be really messed up on Tuesday because Tuesday's when switch is going to explode and 65 new souls are going to get saved this year. And it's not going to be little not. You know what I'm praying? That every time one of those kids gets saved, they're not inoculated to the gospel. They're engulfed in the gospel. They're baptized into it. I've been doing some reading and studying lately and just watching different things. And you know what is amazing to me? There's more and more YouTube video clips, whatever, on on the Internet now of baptismal services. I mean, Mark Driscoll up in Seattle gets in trouble because he's baptizing people in Bell Fountain downtown. Let me tell you something. That's the sign that there's original gospel going on. And they're not just being inoculated. They're going under and coming up brand new in life. And friends, we got to move from just an inoculation to where we have been changed. It says they had a form of godliness but denied its power. Everybody go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Oh, we're almost done. As you know, we never finish our notes. Everybody said amen that's learning to know me. We never get close. Second Peter chapter 2. Excuse me. Second Peter chapter 3. Chapter 3. Go to chapter 3. Verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in which... Let me see if that's the right... Yep, that's right. That's right. That you may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and the Savior. Verse 3. Knowing this first. When you read the Bible, when it says first, it means first. Get this first in your head. That scoffers will come in the last days. How many of you believe there's some scoffers coming that have come around? Come on. And here's what, walking according to their own lusts, and here's what they're saying. Where is the promise of his coming? I was listening to uh, sports radio the other day. I was driving along, and the guy, I just about, I could not believe it. He, he cracks off, he's talking about some running back. And here's what he says, he says, yeah, he's slower than the second coming of Christ. Uh, oh man, the Bible's really true. They're scoffing. 
saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully, everybody say willfully. That means right on purpose, forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are being reserved for... See, I don't worry about nuclear problems. So what do you mean? I don't worry about nuclear bombs. But this one gets me a little stirred up. (laughs) Are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. God can accelerate things in one generation, friends. In one generation, the understanding and expression of Christianity can change. In one generation, the church can go from being half asleep to fully awake, fully on guard, full of faith, Miracles happening in one generation. A thousand years is as a day. See, a lot of people say, well, you know, God, Jesus can't come till this. Let me tell you something. A thousand years is in one day. It can speed up overnight. It was awfully weird. If you're a student of this kind of thing, it's awfully weird to me that all of a sudden the prime minister of Israel is taking secret trips to meet with the prime minister of Russia. Don't tell me it's not in the book, friends. In a moment, things can change. But the heavens, but beloved, do not forget this one thing. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but as long-suffering. How many of you are glad that God is suffering long with you right now? He's suffering long with me, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the description. Jesus said in Luke 18, He says, I don't want you to pray and lose heart. There's going to be some attacks, friends, when you, when you pray. The next 21 days when you begin to find an area of your life that you're going to fast and you set that time aside and you begin to pray, and angel, why don't you come and start playing to give them hope. And, uh, and, you, and, and you, I want everybody right now to turn to Nehemiah chapter 4, if you would. I want, I want to tell you something. You're, you're, going to be, you're going to be praying along and the enemy is going to attack you. He's going to start messing with your mind. He's going to start going to come and saying, you know what, you're not worthy to be praying. Let me tell you something. Whenever I start to pray and I feel a blockage that I can't pray or whatever, you know what I do? I stop and I start worshiping. You say, why would you do that? Because you know what? If the enemy, if I'm not a threat, then he doesn't mess with me. But the minute I start to repent, the minute I start to give my heart to God and say, God, I need you today. I I come before you and Lord, here's where I'm at. Here's the real me. Here's what I need fixed. All of a sudden there's this feels like brass heaven. I just stop and I be, this is what I do. I say, God, I thank you that my prayers today are really ticking the enemy off. It's so bad that he's coming to my little space right now and he's trying to stop me from praying. So guess what, Jesus? I'm not going to pray for a moment. I'm just going to lift my hands and begin to worship you who is high above the heavens. And I begin to pray things like this. Lord, I thank you that the earth is your footstool. Heaven is 
is your throne. I thank you that your word says that you're the same yesterday. And I just begin to speak words about Jesus. All of a sudden, the atmosphere in my little office will change. And what happens is prayer then can continue. The enemy attacks you when you decide to pray. And we're going to close with this. I want you to go to Nehemiah 4. One of my favorite scriptures. The children of Israel have been in captivity and the, those in authority have released them to go back and to build the walls of where they are going to worship God. Build the walls of the temple. In chapter 4, they're well into building. They've started. Verse four, Chapter 4, verse 1 says, And so it happened when Sanballat had heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brother in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? I want you to hear this. The next 21 days, you're going to get on your knees. The next six, seven weeks, we're going to end every service with 10, 15 minutes of just out and out in your face prayer. And every time we start to do it, there's going to be questions come to your mind. What is this little church doing? What are these feeble, weak, sinful, messed up, screwy people doing? Well, let me tell you something. There's only one person asking that question. And it ain't Jesus. Because the minute... You know what? You know what gets God's delight? The minute you start to repent, the minute you start to prayer, it's just like things come on in heaven. God just gets... God loves you as a child. Let me tell you something. My, my girls are grown now, but to this day, if they needed something, I'd get it for them. And now I have grandkids, and it makes their parents mad. But if my grandkids want something, they don't go to their mom and dad. They come to Papa. They don't even go to Na- they'll go to Nana. And if they didn't work with Nana, that's beeline into Papa because he is the soft touch. Papa keeps money in his pocket because his grandkids might need it. Well, I, isn't it right, Gary? I mean, if if Peanut or Cashew or Almond or whatever his name is, they asked for it. He, he named all his grandkids after nuts. I don't know. But uh, you got some mixed nuts there, don't you? If they ask, though, Pop's going, I, I'm available. i got news for you. The minute you start praying, friends, and the culture that's mocking you will start screaming. And they'll start, what is that weak church? Why are they meeting in those schools? What are they doing? Why are they praying? There's, they'll call you hypocrites. They'll call you... The minute those voices start, friends, and those thoughts start, you need to get your hands up, and you need to run to Daddy. You need to run to Papa. Abba, Father. Abba, Papa, Dad. You know why? The very same, he put that principle in me, that every time my grandkids come to me to, to meet their needs, here's the thing, every time I come to him, he starts a process of answering my prayer. What are these feeble Jews doing? And then he, then they, then he says, and, and will they offer sacrifice? Are they really going to praise God in the situation they're in? Will they fortify themselves? Will they complete it in a day? Remember, a thousand years, a day? Are they going to complete this? And this is the question I love. Will they revive the stones 
from the heap of rubbish, stones that are burned. You look at your life and you think, man, this is not, I'm just messed up. I love Jesus, but I messed up my life. I don't know what to do. And the enemy's going, yeah, don't even try. It's all burned up. It's all gone. I want to look that lie in the face this morning and say it's not gone. But there is a faith that God wants to rise up in you that he wants to bring you the yes in your spirit. Amen. I want you to stand with me.